Imagine a world where people were just talking about what they were passionate about. Imagine a world where people were going out of themselves to get to know other people on a deeper level. What if we related over our differences instead of what made us similar? Those are people that say it takes 21 days to form a habit. It takes 1,000 hours. No, I completely disagree with that. It takes every day. There is no shortcut to hacking life. Hi, my name's Rafa, and I love coming up with excuses to talk to interesting people. In my experience as an events host and interviewer, I've always considered it the best practice to do my homework in advance and control the flow of the discussion. But what if it didn't always have to be that way? What if we could do it freestyle? Every episode, I bring on someone interesting, let them deep dive onto any topic of their choice, and try my best to keep up. Whatever we may lack in preparation and polish, I hope we more than make up for in raw curiosity. This episode, we're going with the flow as Gio Tantoka talks about daily routines, reconnecting with others, and how to make your goals a consequence of your habits. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to our show. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're joined by my good friend, Mr. Gio Tantoka. Gio, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me, Rafa. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what you've cooked up for us today. But just to start, for those unfortunate enough to not know the legend, Gio Tantoko, can you tell us a bit about yourself? I think you're being too kind there, Rafa. But um, I usually introduce myself to people as an outdoorsman. In fact, all the people that I've met during Zoom on quarantine, I've started a new job. I joined some forums. I joined a couple of events. I always introduce myself as an outdoorsman. That's how I like to be known to people as. So I love the outdoors. I think I'm allergic to vitamin. I'm allergic to having a roof above my head. So quarantine has been so different for me, in the sense that I have never been under a roof for this long. And what I mean by that is that throughout the day, throughout all my weekends, I'm always out. If I'm not mountain hiking on a weekend, I'm scuba diving. I'm mountain biking. I'm doing something outdoors. I just have to be outdoors. Even when I go on dates with my girlfriend, we don't go to malls. Like we have like a pact where if it's her day, we're in the mall. Okay, we're watching a movie. If it's my day, we're in the mountain. So as much as possible, I keep as much of my days under the sun as possible. And vitamin D is my biggest source of strength, of uh, my biggest source of energy. Um, it was funny. Yesterday, I posted that I was selling a coffee machine. I want a coffee machine in a raffle. I don't drink coffee at all. So I posted my reason for selling the coffee machine was I don't drink coffee. And suddenly two of my cousins commented, how can you not drink coffee? And then all of my friends started commenting, how do you not drink coffee? And for me, it's all about adrenaline. It's all about adrenaline. It's all about vitamin D. I get my energy source from different places. I don't get it from sleep. I don't get it from coffee. I don't really drink alcohol that much. It's more from pure adrenaline. It's like I'm high on life. Right. You know what? As someone who also doesn't drink coffee, I get that a lot all the time. I don't, it's like everyone's coffee reliant, right? But you think about it, we're, we're basically solar powered. We are solar powered. Exactly. <laughs> I think I used that as a caption of my photos before. I'm totally, completely, and absolutely solar powered. You said it. You couldn't right? have said it better. So you mentioned that this is kind of a lead in dear topic for today. And as usual, I have no idea what that's going to be. So Gio, can you please intro us to the topic we're going to be discussing today? So I was thinking about the topic for a while. And just to give you some context, I was thinking of what I did during quarantine. And what I did during quarantine was to create relationships, was to find relationships. 
And that seems so ironic because how do you find relationships in quarantine? And it all started with finding a relationship with myself. And only when I found a relationship with myself was I able to start finding relationships with others as well. But this whole journey of finding who you are, I noticed that I became a better person or a better version of myself. And only by doing that was I able to reach out to other people and help out other people. Like, um, I was able to find a couple of my friends' jobs. I was able to start a book club. You were part of that book club. Right. And do all of these things. But none of that really happened in the start of quarantine. In the start of quarantine, I was still trying to find who I was. And then I'm going to talk about how I found who I was. And that sort of led to living a perfect day every day. And I know that sounds so absurd. And it sounds so... What do you mean you're living a day perfect day every day. You just talked about how you need mountains, you need the outdoors, you need vitamin D in order to live a perfect weekend, to live a perfect day. But then in the absence of all of that, I feel like I was able to find a perfect day in the everyday. I tell myself every day is Groundhog Day. Over here in my bed, I have a poster here that says it's Groundhog Day. But then I feel like even though it's Groundhog Day, even if it's day one all the time, it's a perfect day. So that's what I'm going to sort of go into. How does every day become a perfect day in the context of quarantine and how that helps shape who you are and in effect, build relationships with people afterwards. Wow, that sounds like a fantastic deep dive for this morning. I'm ready to expand my brain. No? And I have to agree with you on that one. I think I've become intimately familiar with myself during this quarantine. I'm more conscious of my mannerism. I've counted the number of tiles in my bathroom. So even the space I'm in, I'm more familiar with. So yeah, let's get into that now. You mentioned that at the start of the quarantine, uh, compared to where you are now, it's been quite a journey, right? Because at the start, it was kind of a journey inwards, if we can characterize it that way. Whereas at a certain point, you turned around and said, okay, I'm kind of familiar with who I am now, so I want to go out. So can you walk me through how that sort of happened? Okay, so that's a good question. In the start of quarantine, I was 50 pounds heavier than I was now. And I was reading maybe one book every three months. And I would go to mass maybe once a week maximum. I would go to mass regularly, but I would cap it at once a week. Socially, my conversations with people, some of them were just your typical conversations. Some were deep. So I'm talking about four different aspects here. What I'm going to talk about is what I call the life bank or what I named the geobank. I kind of divided my life into quarantine and I divided every day into four aspects. I divided into four banks and they are the spiritual bank, the social bank, the endorphin bank, which is more of my physical aspect bank and the mind bank, which is, has to do more with learning. So these four banks, I got four pieces of colored paper. I wrote the numbers one to 31 on them. And then every month I have to X each day at a time that I did that sort of thing. It's right here, actually. Um, I have to X that I did. I have to X that I deposited into each bank. So I deposited into my social bank. I deposited into my spiritual bank, physical bank, and mind bank every single day. So for example, in the morning, I said, okay, I'm going to start meditating every day for five minutes. And then after that, I'm going to say a prayer. And then at night, I pray the rosary and sometimes go to mass with my family. My family goes to mass every day. I go once a week, sometimes more. 
but it's more of I have to have that spiritual deposit every day. And then I move on and I have what's called my social deposit, which means that I'm 100% present with whoever I'm talking with now, with whoever I'm talking with at the present moment. So that means during mealtime, no cell phones in the same floor as where we're having meals. My phone is left in my room. When I'm talking to you, my phone is out of sight. When I'm talking with a friend, I ask to Zoom with them so that we can make eye contact and we're fully present. Those are my social deposits. Endorphin deposits means I have to sweat. I have to sweat that day or I didn't deposit into that bank and I was lazy that day. I just want to stress how much I give significance to these banks to the point that I had an injection uh, to prevent COVID. Uh, I think it was a a flu shot. And my arm was swollen and it was so painful. But just so that I could do a deposit, I woke up like, I woke up even earlier just to get the work done before the shot um, in order to get the day uh, completed. And then finally is the mind bank. And the mind bank basically is do not let a day go past. Don't let a day go by without learning. And before I used to tell myself, you have to read 20 pages a day. Read 20 pages a day, read 20 pages a day. I changed that mentality and I said, Even if you read two pages, but you learn something from that two pages, you have to be able to read it. And I made it very specific. You have to read. You cannot listen to a podcast. You can't watch YouTube. You have to read because I feel like I learn more there Um, and to each his own. But I feel like I learn most when I read. So I made it the rule to deposit into the mind bank. You have to be able to read and learn something from there. Wow. You know, that's fascinating. And some of those practices are things which I might see mirrors with in my life or the way I live my life. And others are completely novel to me. So it's really interesting how you've kind of segmented this now into four different uh, banks. Would you say that the interest rate is pretty good on depositing stuff into your life? I would say it's much harder than it sounds and it's much harder than it looks because there's some days I just don't want to work out. I don't want to work out. I don't want to run. I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to do anything. I realized I don't work out to be in shape. And I know that sounds super weird. I don't work out to be in shape. Being in shape is a secondary effect of why I work out. I work out and I do the endorphin banks to callous the mind. It's all about callousing the mind and making the mind stronger and saying, you don't want to do this, too bad. You told yourself in any mood you're going to do this. So I think we were in June of quarantine. So that's March, April, May, June. It was the end of June in quarantine where I wrote a contract with myself this huge poster behind me here. And I wrote down all the things I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up at 4.30. I'm going to run every day. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I signed the contract. And then my sister signed as a witness. And it's plastered right there. And there's a unique sense of commitment when the contract is with yourself. Like, you cannot cheat the contract because you're just cheating yourself. And no one wants to cheat themselves. And it's right beside my bed. So I see it as soon as I wake up, before I sleep, And I see it all throughout the day. And I know that I wrote the contract with myself. Who am I if I'm not able to uphold the contract with myself? What more will it be if I have a contract with other people as well? So majority of the time, I don't like running. Somebody asked me, wow, you must really like running. I guess you can't sleep anymore if you don't run. I guess it's so ingrained in you. Like you can't function if you don't run. No, it's hard every single day. Like, it's hard every day. Like, 
those are people that say it takes 21 days to form a habit. It takes 1,000 hours. No, I completely disagree with that. It takes every day. There is no shortcut to hacking life. There's no shortcut but hacking it every day. Yes, I completely agree with you. You know, Mitch Album be damned, right? Outliers be damned. But um, I like what you said about hacking life in particular. Because, you know, if you've been on LinkedIn or if you've been online, right, there are a lot of people who claim that you can hack life, that, you know, take this course, right? And suddenly you'll be a marketing expert or take this, right? They suddenly be able to communicate effectively with people. And I think people are hardwired, especially now in this age of instant gratification to look for shortcuts that, yeah, I can't take this online course, right? And I get this, this Coursera certificate and suddenly I'm an expert. But I think what's being overlooked here, um, like you said, I'll just rephrase, that excellence is a sort of everyday exercise, right? Definitely, definitely. And it's doing it in any mood. I think that's the whole thing about it. Like, there are days where it's 9 p.m. and I haven't read a book and I sleep at 9 p.m. in order to wake up at 4.30. I have to sacrifice my one hour of I could have been sleeping and I read a book for an hour and then I just still wake up at 4.30. It's like the discipline. You told yourself to, you have to do it. And no, nobody's telling me to do this. Nobody's paying me to do this. This is sheer will. This is sheer, you told yourself, let's see how far you can go. Exactly. And you know what? To be completely honest, I think that's something that I'm working on myself. I wouldn't say that I mastered it and I have the dedication yet. One clear example, uh, one thing I'm working on right now is that I'm, this is a lot smaller than waking up at 4.30 every day, but I'm trying to get myself to wake up on the first alarm. Because I feel like that small moment in time, it, it's an act of willpower, right? Because you have, you have two alarms. I have three, just to be sure. And it's always like by the existence of the other two, right? Um, the first one becomes optional. I'm trying to get to the point where if we set like a 7.30 alarm, yeah, sorry, I only wake up at 7.30. That's it, right? Like you'll wake up at the time. It's a commitment. And admittedly, I haven't mastered it yet, but it's something I'm working on. Completely agree with that. I also have two alarms. I have one at 4.25 and one at 4.28. And majority of the time, I only stand up in the 4.28 alarm. The 4.25 is like, okay, this is your rest alarm for three minutes. And then you get up at 4.28, your bed is fixed by 4.30. And the thing about this is I find it so important that moment in the day because it sets the tone for the entire day. What do I mean? That first alarm is your first battle of the day. Do you win that battle? And if you're able to win that battle, you'll be able to fix your bed. You'll be able to brush your teeth, take a shower, do the things you have to do, and your whole day gets started. But if you start the day off and you say, no, your whole system that day is just on overdrive. It's just on, not overdrive, it's on relaxed to the max drive. Because you lost that first battle, uh, maybe I can be five minutes late for my meeting. Uh, maybe I can slack off a little bit. Uh, maybe I can read one page. Uh, maybe I can do all sorts of stuff. So I think the first thing that clicks on the day, it's like that sets the tone. So if you win that first battle, you're bound or you're more likely to have a good day. Right. And, you know, this is very interesting because one of the previous guys I talked to um, on this podcast, Jody, uh, Jody Chua, if you know him. He was talking about life design. So that was his topic, right? He was talking about coming up with a plan for your life. And one interesting discussion we have is 
what happens when it doesn't go according to plan? Because I know you have goals on a daily basis, right? So, and I know I'd like to believe that you consistently hit these, but what happens in the moments where you fall through? Like what occurs there? And how do you stand up after that? You know what? I try to be not so high on emotion or too low on emotion. Sort of like how the Buddhists do it. You know, like I read, I read this one of my books, how they just let the emotions pass through them like waves. They don't let it get them so amped up and they don't let it get them so down either. We all have goals, right? And in the back, I have goals for one year, five year, 10 year, and now I'm working on my 20 year goals. And the thing about goals is, excuse me for the language, but they're kind of complete BS, right? Like everybody has goals. They say they're going to reach this and that, this and that. And the reason I sort of started the life bank was because they are habits that help me reach those goals. So, for example, my goal is to lose 50 pounds. If my goal is to lose 50 pounds, but I'm not doing something about it every day or at least three to five times a week, then I'm not reaching toward that goal. So I don't, I'm not sure if your question was more, or if you're not reaching that goal, what do you do about it? I wouldn't really say change your goal, but I would say change your habits that lead you towards that goal. It means you're probably doing the wrong habits. You want to earn this much. Well, why don't you change your habits and start reading a bit about the stock market every day? Open Bloomberg for 10 minutes a day. Get a book about it. Talk to your friends about it. Attend the class about it. But change your habits to achieve the goals. Don't sacrifice. Don't split the difference on your goals. I don't believe that if you're not able to reach your goals, it means your goal is too high or too low. It's more of you didn't do the necessary work or you didn't do the correct work in order to reach that. You might have put the same effort, but the effort you put was not related to helping you achieve that goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it Tell does. Tell me if I'm just blabbering here. Nope, I see the sense <laughs> of that. Um, and I think what's the interesting implication that you're getting at is that a lot of people will look as, at your habits as a consequence of your goal. Um, for example, like you said, if your goal is to make money, then you make it an everyday habit to read about the stock market, right? But the way you're talking about it, it almost seems as you can get to a point, right, with enough discipline where you're doing the thing every day, where your goals become a consequence of your habits. You're just through the process of sticking to it. That's a perfect way of putting it. Albert Einstein said, compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. If you're improving yourself 1% every day in a year, you're 37 times better. So it's all about compounding. Like, I'm so impatient with reading my books. I'm so impatient with uh, running, with doing all, all sorts of stuff. But I realized it just takes time. Like, in one year, a great example of this is, for example, Facebook. Every week or so, Facebook has minimal bug adjustments. Every week, they new bug adjustment, a little new feature, new feature. They aren't life-changing. They aren't life-altering. They aren't huge impacts. But then in 12 years, Facebook has a completely different platform. They have a completely different app than they did have 12 months ago. And it was with these incremental changes that they did on a weekly basis. Yeah, and that reminds me of something I was recently talking to my boss about in work. Uh, we were also talking about the power of incrementality. And he, sa he was saying, basically, there's no such thing as an impossible task or an impossible goal. 
if you have enough time, anything is possible. The question is, how much time do you have and how much time are you willing to allocate? And I suppose that's why your idea of making excellence into an everyday exercise is based on incrementality, right? Exactly, yep. And I think it should be important to note that I think what helped me get through this or what helps me do these things every day is that I constantly tell myself, I constantly tell myself, you don't have to, you get to. Because when you look at life in a sort of, you're here, you get to actually do this. You get to do these cool things. You get to climb mountains. You get to have a job. You get to have dinner conversations with your family. You get to see your friends who are in another country just through Zoom. It's this whole mentality of just gratefulness that you're alive, that you're here. It becomes so much more meaningful if you're not forced to do it, if you're not told to do it, if it's you who wants to do it. It's not, it becomes sort of a want more than a need and it's more beautiful that way. Because I would describe it sort of like, it's even better than a need. Getting to do these things is better than a need because it's a gift. It's a gift that you're able to, parang, you get me? You get what I'm yeah, I feel you. It's, um, well, I'm, I'm just looking at the wall behind you and I realize that quote is plastered up there on that black paper. I, I totally yeah. get it now because I think there is a way you can live your life which is very routinary, um, to say the least, right? Um, that you abide by what you're told to do. You show up at your work or you show up at your school, you hand in the requirements. And for some people, that's well and good, right? As long as you're complying and meeting the requirement. But there is a layer above that which is so much more gratifying that you can that you're choosing to do it, that there's intentionality in the act. And, you know, I have a very funny example. Tell me what you think of this, right? Because, you know, when you want to do something, right? Uh, for example, you're, you want to work out, right? You're, you're deciding that, okay, maybe I want to work out. And suddenly someone will come to you and say, hey, I, I think you should work out, even though you already had that thought in your head. For some reason, it's less satisfying than if you did it completely on your own. Do you ever feel that way? I tried explaining this to my mom recently and she didn't get it at all. <laughs> I, I totally get you. It's just, it's the difference between your parents saying you can go out or you having the freedom to go out anytime you want to go out. It's just, there's some sort of freedom that comes with the idea coming from you, diba. Right? Yeah. And I think to another, ex- um, to a different extent, no? there is joy in seeing things through. Like the idea coming from yourself, right? And then you choosing to work on it and then you seeing the outcome. Yeah. There's a unique kind of satisfaction as opposed to something where either someone else came up with the idea and you act on it or you come up with the idea and you delegate it to someone else, right? It's not completely the same. All of these realizations that you're saying now, I feel like quarantine has made people so much more reflective. I feel like reflective and also in a some way, it's like the time of the renaissance. Everyone's inventing, everyone's creating, everyone's selling something, everyone's an entrepreneur. And I feel like the world was put on pause in the sense that everybody was able to just stop and think. And when I meditate in the morning, I have two types of meditation, but something I try to do uh, sometimes is I have this thing called super thinking time. And super thinking time is just thinking about different ideas and playing with them and having them dance around inside your head. And I think this is so important because 
it lets ideas and it lets reflections and it lets creative juices and all of these things flow through you. And if you don't give time to say and welcome the idea and say, hey, come at me ideas, like I'm here, I'm listening, then you're just waiting for them to bother you. And these ide- I feel like ideas are like, I read, I read this from one of my favorite books, Big Magic. And it said, ideas have a mind and spirit of their own. And they're trying to get to you. And your reflections and your thoughts, they're trying to get to you. But if you're so caught up and you're so busy trying to live your life and do all these things and you don't pause, these ideas will never have an open window to enter your mind. So I feel like it is extremely important to tell ideas, I'm here, I'm present, I'm listening. Please, I'm welcoming into you. And sometimes I even dress up in the morning just so that ideas are attracted to come to me. Just so I have a, I have a, like a brain, like creative juices start flowing. Because if you don't give that time, when else will they try to come at you, right? Right. You know, I think you've just uh, provided a very convincing explanation for the phenomenon of the, of the shower thought, right? Because people say that, right? Like, oh, you have your best ideas in the shower. But if you ask why, right? Um, what exactly are you up to in the shower, right? You're not really thinking. Your mind's very open. You're like submerged, right, in water or something like that. So you're in a very relaxed and open state. And that's when your best ideas hit you, right? Or on the toilet or on your commute, right? What, one thing I do, because um, sometimes I do have to come in for work. So around two times a week, I do come to the office. Uh, and I'm very careful about it. But I commute two ways, right? I drive to work and I drive to home. And my policy is when I drive to work, I always have a podcast on. It's input mode. Um, so I'm just listening to something. And when I drive back, I don't have any podcast on. And like the radio is turned off. So I'm just thinking the whole time in the car. So I feel like it's a natural cycle, right? Of input, like audio, visually, sensory input, whatever you'll call it. And then just thinking about it and letting the ideas come in. And you do that on purpose. Yeah, it's, it's an intentional thing. An intentional thing. It's not because you finished the podcast in the morning and you, don't, you have nothing good to listen to coming home. You know, it, that's where it started. Uh, that, that came from me being in college because I'd listen to something in the morning. Then I wouldn't finish it. Um, then I'd be listening to the rest on the way home. Now, at some point, it cuts off, right? And then it's just quiet in the car. And then after a while, I was like, yeah. hey, you know, this isn't so bad. And I, I decided to stick it. Yeah, you, you know what? Sometimes in the morning, I run for three hours. And that entire three hours, zero music, zero podcast, zero movies, zero TV shows. And then I run on the treadmill. And then my sister or my parents would ask me, why aren't you listening to anything, music, podcasts, whatever? And I should say, I'm thinking. Like, it's just so liberating. Like, I'm just thinking. Lifting weights in the morning. I don't need YouTube, no Netflix, no podcasts, no music, nothing. I'm just thinking. Thinking is great. Like so much of social media. Like, I don't know if you watch The Social Dilemma. I deleted, the, I deleted Facebook from my phone. And I realized I only check Facebook maybe once a day on my computer. When it was on my phone, I would check it like 10 times a day. And every time I go to my phone, I realize, oh, Facebook's not there. I don't go to my computer because it's not enough incentive for me. I just end up using the time to think or do something else that's more productive. All of the wasted time in a day, you're able to sort of fix that. And just to add, so my bank deposits in social, endorphin, spiritual, and mind. 
I usually am able to finish all four of those by 8 a.m. So I could have a conversation with my dad already. My dad wakes up at five. I already worked out. I already did my reading. And I already meditated and prayed. So by 8 a.m., my day is done. My personal day is done. By 8 a.m., before work, my personal day is done. Everything else is just what it is. But then at least everything that I needed to get done for myself, I was able to do from 4.30 to 8. And then everything that happens that day is just what it is. It's work. It's uh, family time. It's time to eat. Time to do all sorts of stuff now. But at least I finished my day by 8. And it's been such a big change in my life because of that. That sounds amazing. I want to latch on to one phenomenon you were talking about earlier, which I'll call it the human obsession with filling up space or the primal fear of silence, if you want to call it that. Because um, I'll use an improv metaphor because I'm an improv performer, right? One thing that I was very scared of when I started performing is that I was afraid of silence. Like if I was up on stage and we were doing a scene, if you say something, I always felt the immediate urge to come back with like a witty punchline or like some kind of funny response, right? But one time a coach told me, yo, like, can you try not saying anything? Like try being silent um, when doing that performance, right? And at the moment where someone says something and you're quiet, it's a different message altogether. Now that's a different context, but I think it's a metaphor for a bigger, bigger thing that's happening where instinctively, because I feel most people are afraid of silence or black of idle time, what they'll call it, right? Like if you have spare time, you'll want to fill it up with music, right? You want to play some music in the background. You want to watch a Netflix show. You want to scroll through Facebook. Like all these moments of the day where you would say you're quote unquote doing nothing, you find something to fill the gap. And it's so easy now the way social media is constructed. But what you're saying is that we have, there's something to be gained from appreciating those so-called silences, right? Which a lot of people gloss over. Because a lot of people think silence bad, right? <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid of keeping silent, but I think silence is great. I think you said it perfectly. There's nothing to be afraid from silence. In fact, silence gives you more sometimes than if you were so busy blabbering about. I, I also think this whole concept of time, because we're touching with time a bit here, um, these moments we have of time and all of this, something I realized this quarantine is there is no such thing as time management. Okay? There is no such thing as time management. Time goes on regardless. Time goes on regardless. You cannot stop it, alter it, do anything about it. Time just goes on. What I do believe in is self-management. So you can manage yourself, which is the most important thing to do, you know? And you have to manage, keep your emotions in check, keep your mind in check, make sure you're learning something every day, make sure you're thinking about the important things in life you're supposed to be thinking about, make sure you find yourself. There's so many things you have to do that you can do if you just manage yourself properly. It doesn't have to do with time because everybody has the same time. It's just you have to be able to discipline yourself. And I, I'm so guilty of falling to the trap of using my phone, looking at Instagram, doing all sorts of stuff. But I feel like there is so much potential to be tapped if we are able to manage ourselves I agree. better. Um, it's also an ongoing exercise for me, I think. Um, there's still a lot of discipline to be built and a lot of habits to be formed. But I feel like the exercise and the awareness of it is already a good first step, right? 
you gotta know there's a problem to solve the problem. Okay, so now I want to go into something else, right? Because we've been talking a lot about personal development, about the routine, about depositing into your personal bank. Um, but there was another half to that story, right? Where you said after you worked on yourself and got to know yourself, you've begun reaching out to others. Tell me a bit about that. Like, how did that transition happen from working a lot on yourself to suddenly deciding to reach out? That's a great segue. So when I got to know myself better, I realized I wanted to get to know other people better as well. So an example of this is the people I'm closest to in the world are my cousins, my family members. But I realized I didn't know the 1% of them that they probably don't tell people. In the same way that I didn't know the 1% until a lot of self-reflection. And until now, I'm still trying to figure out who that 1% is, right? And my cousins and I created this forum where we talk about the 1% of ourselves that we don't really share with other people. And it was so mind-boggling. Like In the first 10 minutes of that forum, I felt so much closer to them in a way that I saw them with new eyes. And it was so, it was such a revelation. And the trust built by sharing who you are made the other person also share who they were. And my cousins and I have had several of these forums. We have it every six weeks or so. And I realized I could have this sort of relationship with other people as well. So I would have one-on-ones with a couple of my friends. Sometimes we'd hang out as a group. And I tried making a conscious effort in not asking about the gossip of the town or not asking about the chica or not asking about the things we usually talk about when we're in parties or when we hang out in somebody's house. And the questions I would ask them would sort of dive deeper into what's going on in their lives and trying to get them to open up so that I could get to know them better. And in effect, I think they also sort of got to know themselves better And the conversations I've had have been so different from pre-COVID, from pre-quarantine. Because, for example, it's a big group. It can be as simple as, hey, how about everybody share a learning that they had during quarantine? And then for one minute, everybody goes around and shares what they learned during quarantine. And then the normal chikahan happens. It's easier if it's a one-on-one conversation and you're asking, hey, how are things at home? How are things with your spirituality? How are things with work? How are things with outside work? Similar to what we had before this conversation. Uh, but it was ve- it's very purposeful and it's very, I want to get to know you more. So I feel like maybe I haven't been able to focus so much on the breath. I haven't been able to reach all of my friends. But on the ones that I've been able to talk to, we've gone in depth with them. And at this point in my life, I feel like I'm valuing depth over breadth. A couple of my friends uh, got laid off from their jobs. They got furloughed. And my ex-bosses were looking for people to hire. And my company was looking for people to hire. So I was able to get them jobs. My sister is applying for college next year. So I patched her up with a couple of my friends who completely different courses in college just to get them to sort of save their learnings as well. And I thanked them. I was like, thanks so much. You really helped out my sister in choosing her course. And then in response, they said, you know what? It made me think of what I did in college and what I learned. So I feel like it's been a very introspective for your friends as well. 
you know what, like, I love what you said there because you've sort of described my whole intention in this creating this show. Because uh, I'll let you in a little secret here, although it's not really a secret because we're going to put this on tape. But really, my main motivation uh, for making this was, has nothing to do with producing content or even putting on a show for people to listen to. I just wanted a good excuse to come to some of my friends and say, hey, tell me about something you're interested in. Because as much as it seems like an obvious conversation to have, you usually don't have the context to just sit down with someone and say, hey, what's something you're into? Can we talk about it for an hour? That almost never happens in day-to-day life. Never happens. It never happens. And I told you, I, w- I would do this without the content. Like, I think we had a conversation in COVID. You were one of those that we had like a conversation almost two hours. You were just talking about random stuff, but it wasn't your normal, it wasn't the normal, hey, uh, how's... How are you in these socially distanced times? <laughs> yes, yes. It's just, it's just more, it's more in-depth. So I completely agree with that. And I think that's sort of why we started the book club as well. It was sort of a way to get people to talk about something specific. And then you're sort of able to get to know people's perspectives and learnings themselves. Um, just to mention the book club a little bit that we have, it's never about what the book is. Because if you wanted to know what the book is about, you can go on Goodreads, go online, read a quick summary, done. It's always about what has that person learned from that book. And I think people really put effort into the book club because they prepare an outline, they prepare their learnings, and you're able to see Rafa's perspective. You're able to see Gia's perspective. And this is something that the person really gave a lot of thought and effort into making an outline and putting their learning and sharing that with other people. And it's very obvious when people are being genuine and they're really sharing who they are instead of like putting this whole facade that everything's fine, everything's cool. Because some people say, this book was really depressing and I had depression and it start and it's just a whole different type of conversation that really sort of grabs you in the heart, no? Grabbed by the heart. <laughs> That, that's a very powerful expression you're using there, no? And I want to throw a question to you, a uh, question back at you rather, because what you're talking about is that people have surprising depth, and I agree with you. Like people say that, oh, this guy's boring, right? But I, I'm a personal believer in the fact that everyone has something surprising or insightful to share if you go deep enough or if you ask for it. The thing is, though, despite that fact, why do you think so many people default to small talk? Like, why would a lot of people rather talk about the gossip, talk about the conventional, talk about the day-to-day, right? Like, how's your family? Instead of asking these things, which are much more interesting, where do you think that comes from? I think two things now. I think the first one is a lot of the time, it's just easier and it's more comfortable to just share the 99% of yourself that everyone already knows. Everyone knows you work here. Everyone knows you're in a relationship with this person. Everyone knows you went to this school, you were part of this barcada. So their conversation is just so easy. So that's why a lot of people don't really go into depth just because of comfort and because it's convenient for people to just talk about things that are already known rather than making the effort to go deep. The second thing is, I think people, well, it's sort of connected to the first one, is people just don't make the effort to go deep. It's not natural to them. Our world now is just so, our world now doesn't interact that way unless it's 
purposeful. Like this talk show that you have, it's very rare for those conversations to happen. But I do agree with your point, and I want to bring that up again, that you said everybody's interesting. And I really agree with this because I learned a secret from one of the books I read that said, if you want people to keep talking, talk to them about something they're passionate about. So I have this friend, right? He's the most quiet guy in the world. Like super quiet, super quiet. And in class, quiet. Barcada hangout, quiet. And then I wanted to get closer to him. We're close, but I wanted to get closer to him. So I started messaging him on quarantine. One sentence about something I know he liked. And I would ask him a question about it. He would give me paragraphs and paragraphs of responses. And I do another question. Paragraph. Next day, I send him a question. Paragraph, paragraph. And he was just so enthusiastic. And I was really learning from him. And I told him, I had no idea. Like, you knew so much about this topic. I knew you liked the topic, but the whole why behind it, the passion behind it, he's more talkative than he was for the last six years that I've known him. And it's all because you just have to find what they're interested about. Like I would make right now a perfect example. You just asked me a question and I'm giving you paragraphs of answers because I love talking about this stuff, no? So if you are able to find, if you find someone boring, but you're able to ask them, what are you passionate about? And the easy way I do this in work before was, what do you do on weekends? Because I feel like what you do on weekends is where you spend your free time. That's what you like to do, whether that's playing video games or climbing a mountain. That's what you like to do. Your free time, what you spend most of that on, that's what you like to do. And people can talk about that forever. If I ask you to talk about improv, we can be here until next Saturday and you'd still be talking improv. That's true. Uh, maybe we can try that some other time. <laughs> but, you know, I... I I really like what you're getting into. And I'll just add in to pull back an old topic because we're talking about why do people resort to small talk, basically. I think the third reason I would give is that the default mode of human relation is commonality. Um, this is very tribal, if you'll think about it, right? Because um, if you go back to like the caveman days, right? <laughs> um, I wasn't there, thankfully. But if you go back there, right? The default mode of knowing who's safe to talk with or who's safe to hang out with, right? Are people in your tribe, people who are like you, people who look like you, people who talk like you, because you know they're not your enemy, right? And that's kind of carried on to the life we live nowadays, wherein the way we relate to people or the way we relate to people by default, at least, is through commonalities, right? Oh, I went to Ateneo as well. We work at the same job. I'm in the same industry. Oh, something like that happened to me before. But one interesting mode of relation that I think gets taken out of the picture a lot is relating over outliers, right? Like, that's something you do that I've never heard of. But we could relate over that. So for me, that's yeah. like one other possible theory as to why people are like that, right? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Imagine a world where that was the case. Though. Imagine a world where people were just talking about what they were passionate about. Imagine a world where people were going out of themselves to get to know other people on a deeper level. Right. And in a sentence, what if we relate that over our differences instead of yeah. what made us similar. There'd be so much more unity in the world, so much less judgment. I feel like most of the judgment and most of the things that happen feel, happen because you're afraid to be different from other people. 
But then that mere difference, there's so much growth, there's so much learning, there's so much that can be built from that foundation. Right. And as much as I don't want to be overly idealistic, I think that kind of world is still possible. If we can't change the whole world, we can at least make spaces where the world functions in that way. (laughs) You know what? I think it goes as simple as starting with your family. Like my family, I like honestly speaking, the conversations that we've been having over quarantine are a hundred times better than the conversations we've had pre-quarantine. Pre-quarantine, we'd have one meal together a day. That was dinner when everyone was home. Now we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. So we've sort of had to come up with all of these questions and topics and it's been so interesting. Like I look forward, that's my favorite part of the day, having dinner and lunch with my family. I completely look forward to it because the conversations that we have with one another have just gone on a different level. Parang it's, it's been really good. <laughs> that's great to hear. And it's an interesting thought to think, right? That say there are these people in your life who you've known for basically your entire existence, right? Say your family or a friend you've known for 10, 20 years. But there's still like a big side of them that you don't know just because you haven't bothered asking, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's a big part. You know, it's just like how when you make a new habit, the biggest, the hardest part is getting started. I would say when getting to know a person, the biggest hurdle to get over is asking the right question and just coming up with the courage to ask it. Just like you were saying, right? Once you get to the meat of it, like it just flows, right? Like you can just keep talking. You won't have to talk. You won't have to talk. The other person is just going to be so enamored by what the, or it's going to be so passionate. It's going to be so energized by what they're saying. It'll be so easy for you. Right. And I think that we'd all be a little better off if we, everyone was just more open with asking those kind of questions. However, I think there is a caveat to this. I think part of what makes it work is you have to be genuinely curious. There you go. <laughs> because if you're just asking for the sake of making conversation or you're just asking because there's nothing else to do, then you won't get the answers or the, yeah, you, you, you won't find what you're looking for. Parang you have to be genuinely interested to get to know the other person. That's why I think it's very important that you start with your family because if you don't get to know them, then how will you get to go outside that? Right. right. You know what, like, I think what you're talking about is something we discussed in that book club a few months ago. Um, one of your friends, I'm so sorry I forgot who he was, but he was talking about the importance of listening. Like how listening is so, so important. And so important. I think that's what you're touching on now, right? Like, it's kind of like how you have to be open to attract ideas. It's the same thing, right? When you're listening to a person talk about something, they can kind of sense without you even talking how invested you are in what they're sharing. Listening is in the eyes. It's in the eyes, Chico. The eyes never lie. Well said. All right. You know what? We're going to about an hour now, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. But sure. I, do, I want to wrap up this very fascinating discussion we've been having. Sure. We talked about investing in yourself, you know, putting a little in the bank every day, the habit of excellence. We talked about reaching out to people, how asking that one question or just stepping over that one barrier to the 1% you don't know about them that isn't in public can be a huge thing. And we talked about how it is an everyday exercise. It's not just something you decide to do one day and you're set for life, but it's a choice you have to constantly make. From all these thoughts we've shared over the past hour, 
um, I guess to put it together into something that people listening to the show can take with them, what would it be? Like, what's one thing or what's a summary that people can take home with them after listening to this episode? First, that's a really good summary that you did there. <laughs> that was a very good tying all the knots together. Well, this is a really difficult question. I didn't think I would have a hard time thinking of this. I should have. No, no, it's fine. You know, one thing I said, uh, I talked with and my other guest in this podcast, it, it's completely fine to give yourself questions that are hard, right? I think it should be done. Um, I think it's a great question. I think a great question deserves some time to be thought about and not the first thing that comes to mind. So it's what's the parent, what's the takeaway? Right. You know, from all of these things we've talked about, living life, etc. What's the one thing people are going to act on after hearing this? I, have, I think I, if there's one thing, and I just want to clarify, and, uh, none of the stuff we talked about, this is not... It's not like, a life I'm hack. Not saying, <laughs> it's not, no, it's, it's not a life hack, but I'm not saying do this, right? This is, this is more of like, this is more of like, this is what I do. You, I'm not telling, I'm not forcing, I'm not imposing. It's not preaching that you have to do this. It's just, I be, I, I'm a big believer into each his own. So I think everything we talked about, we're not telling people to do this. We're not even recommending it. We're just saying, this is what I do. This is what Rafa does. If you like it, cool. If you don't, keep doing your own thing, no? But I think the one takeaway here, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, is with everything in life, you're already here, no? You're already here. You're present. You're living life already. Everything you choose, you don't have to do them you get to do them. Having conversations with people, finding the 1%, finding yourself, learning, reading more, working out, making yourself a better person. You don't have to do any of these. Nobody is telling you to do them. Nobody is forcing it. Nobody's even paying you to do them. You get to do them. And I think that's where everything stems from. You don't have to you get to. Beautifully said. I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Well, there we go. Ladies and gents, thanks for tuning in. This has been The 1% with Gio Tantoko. Gio, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's been fantastic. It was a total pleasure. You are a rock star, man. I can't believe that you have all of these things going on in your life. I can't wait. I, I can't wait to see who you interview next. Oh, me too. You're a phenomenal host, man. Hey, and you were a phenomenal guest. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you next week. This episode was co-produced by Mix Villaluz, a.k.a. Luz, a wonderful graphic designer and music creator. If you want to see more of his work, head over to the links in the description. Thanks for listening.